Hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This week, we decided we would pay tribute to another one of our recently departed, Margot Kidder. Died uh, a couple weeks ago. She is known for many films, most specifically, I think, for the early Superman films with Christopher Reeve. Oh, yeah. She's she's the only Lois Lane that matters. She is <laughs> Lois Lane to me. <laughs> she really is, right? Oh, my gosh. And she was in all of them, even the really crappy Superman 4. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was also in Black Christmas, which would be a, probably the movie we would have chosen to do had we not already done that film. Definitely, definitely. So uh, instead, we went through what I think is, I don't know, she might have done another horror movie or two. I know she did an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, whatever other horror movie she's done is is unknown to us, right? We right. we know Amityville Horror from 1979. That's what we're going to do today. Yeah. And we've already done the Amityville Horror Part 2, which was a highly entertaining movie for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, and I think even when we did that show, we remarked about how dull and boring this movie was as we remembered it. But it had been, I think, for both of us, admittedly, quite a while since we'd seen it. Oh, yeah, a really long time. And I was saying that uh, to my partner yesterday, that that's, that's what I remembered about this movie, that it was kind of boring. But I think that when I had seen it, I had been a kid. You know, I, I, I don't remember. Like, maybe high school, maybe college, I don't remember. That's what I remember, is thinking that it was kind of boring. And I have to say that going back and watching it again, I really think that I appreciated it more uh, this time around. It, it really didn't strike me uh, as boring this time. I actually kind of liked it. And, you know, we'll get into all that, uh, whatever. But um, Margot Kidder, like you said, Lois Lane. I mean, that's that's <laughs> what I know her from. And <laughs> right. I loved those, you know, those Superman movies when I was a kid, you know, superhero movies are blockbuster movies. You know, it seems like that's kind of all we get <laughs> anymore. <laughs> are, it's like are, they're the only American movies we seem to get in China anymore. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I, I and I'm not surprised. And you know, I get it. I I'm not a huge fan of those movies, but I I get the draw of them because when I was a kid, those Christopher Reeve Superman movies, I loved those movies. I absolutely mm. loved them. And uh, Margot Kidder uh, in those movies, I always just really, really liked her because. She was a little bit atypical. You know, I I will say that in this movie, in the Amityville Horror, she's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. But yeah. that's that's not how I thought of her as Lois Lane. You know, when I when I thought of her as Lois Lane, yeah, she's she's pretty, but that's not what it was about with her. You know, she was, you know, kind of a a, a tough broad in those movies, you yeah. know, a, a very strong, independent woman. And I just thought she was so cool uh, in those movies and, and, a, and a great companion for Christopher Reeve, who was so all-American and handsome and nice and, you know, like, yeah. he, he was just kind of the epitome of this all-American guy. And then he had this romantic counterpart who kind of gave him hell sometimes and uh i don't know i just really liked her and and so i'm i'm sad that she's gone i know that she struggled in her life uh she was uh bipolar um and and she went through some struggles with that i think sometime in the 90s she was really struggling with her mental health and at one point ended up uh homeless and you know of, of course when the media found out about that you know they really sensationalized it you know kind of the fall of this um famous american actress but she you know she dealt with her stuff and came back around and um she continued working you know up up until now, up until uh, her death, and and I think that she still, you know, she had filmed projects that haven't even come out yet. Um, so we'll still see a little bit more of her, and I, I'm glad because she was a good actress. You mentioned Black Christmas. Uh, I really like Black Christmas, but I think the biggest part of why I like it is her. She yeah. was hilarious in that movie. <laughs> Again, playing a <laughs> tough, no nonsense kind of gal. I suggested that we do something to pay tribute to her. Uh, and and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny when you talk about how she comes across. I always get her and like Karen Allen mixed yeah. up. Yeah. You know, because they both have a similar, 
Well, actually, they both look alike. I feel like they could be sisters. But but they both kind of come across that way. Or maybe I'm just such a fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, pretty, but still tough, no-nonsense broads. And also have that, what do you call it, like a little bit of a smoker's voice. Mm -hmm. She's a little gravelly, you know, down there, which is really can be pretty sexy. Yeah. And I think that does her suits her well for this movie because she really comes across as a real person. You know? Yeah. And I think that's one thing that I can say this film has going for it. I think all the people in this movie, at least this family, uh, the, the stars are, of course, Margot Kidder plays the mother, Kathy Lutz, and George Lutz is played by James Brolin, who is... Very nice, very nice looking man. Oh my god, <laughs> he's so hot, and especially in this movie, he's so hot. Like, <laughs> I have to, I have to confess, it was a little distracting. <laughs> I don't know. I think his, um, I think his son is even better looking personally. Oh, but, yeah, uh, but they they look a lot alike. I mean, there's it's. Oh, yeah. man. If if they did a remake of this movie, uh, Josh Brolin could easily take over his dad's role, even though he's probably older now than his dad was when he played uh, this role. But, oh boy, gosh, you, you shouldn't have got me started going on James Brolin, because I swear. I mean, he's a good-looking guy now. He's married to, well, I think they're married. They're a couple, uh, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I mean, this is him in his prime, and he is just... I'll let it go, but he's a very good-looking man. <laughs> even, even buried under mountains of 70s hair. Right. <laughs> uh, seriously, and this is no joke, when I think of 70s, the look, this is it. Yeah. This, this is the, it's the picture of him on the photograph on the cover of the VHS tape for this movie that I go back to every single time. Big, bushy hair, huge beard, and mustache. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just yeah. so great. So anyway, um, this movie, I don't know. I don't think I feel as warmly to it as you do, though, Craig. I I felt it was a bit boring. Not that stuff doesn't happen. It's just that not enough happens in a short enough amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's fair. I, I, I do think it's a little bit too long. You know, it, it's an hour and 57 minutes. I, I think that they could have cut it down to an hour 30, and it probably would have been a little bit tighter, uh, mm. and that's fine. I, I guess that maybe, I don't know, the first time around that I watched it, I don't think that I really knew anything about it. And this time around... Since we did Amityville 2, you know, back then when we did it, I did some research, light, you know, Wikipedia research into mm-hmm. um, the story. And the idea that supposedly these movies, at least one and two, you know, there's a, like, I don't know, six or seven other sequels after this that, you know, just go wherever they want to go. But supposedly this these first two movies were based on actual events. And actually, part two is really a prequel to part one because it deals with the DeFeo murders that happened before the events of this movie in which the oldest DeFeo son um, killed his parents and I think three or four of his siblings in this house, the Amityville house. Uh, And this movie takes place after that. This is the family that moved in, I think it was 13 months. I think that the the house was on the market for 13 months. Nobody wanted to touch it because of the terrible events that happened there. But this new family, George Lutz and Kathy Lutz, who had uh, just recently married, um, she had three kids um, from a previous marriage. They each had their own homes, but they wanted to you know, live together as a family. So um, they looked at this house and it was priced well because it hadn't sold for over a year. What do you think? I love it. Honey, $80,000? I mean, might as well be $800,000. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that house. It's on Long Island. It's got a right. boat house there. There's another little house attached. It's right on the lake. It's gorgeous. And it's huge. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Colonial. Oh. And I get it. You know, this was 1979. That was the year I was born. I understand <laughs> that the housing market has changed. But I'm like, for sure. my God, I paid that much for my house. And I live in this little tiny <laughs> old house. <laughs> I- I'd live in the murder house for 80 grand. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. You know, and that's kind of what they 
say too. I just wish that uh, all those people hadn't died here. I mean, ugh, a guy kills his whole family. Doesn't that bother you? Well, yeah, sure, but houses don't have memories. I really like the fact, actually, that they made a deal out of that. Like, you know, it's it's a little atypical. Well, of course, because this is based on a true story, of course, they're just following the story. But it's a little atypical for a horror movie for the people who moved into the house to know that they were buying a house that people were murdered in. You know, right. That yeah. has a history. And that's that's a little refreshing. And it's cool that they call that out in the movie itself, or they don't even try to manipulate, you know, the truth to, to make it seem like, oh, the realtor hit it, you know, or, well, we'll buy it anyway. Anything like that. They go in there, they know the story behind it. You know, I think that the real story behind this is even more interesting than the movie itself. And, you know, just to briefly cap it off, I think pretty much history has come to decide that all of this was a big hoax. Yeah. That the original owners of the house, the, the real George and Kathy Lutz, were in financial trouble and and that's something actually that they deal with in the movie in a slightly different way. But anyway, that they were in financial trouble and probably had some motivation uh, to make a big deal out of the house. At first, they called some press conference, and um, and this was at the behest, it seems to be, of the attorney for the, for the DeFeo kid. So if you kind of go through the whole thing, and you should check it out online, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing here, but at the end of the day, it seems like the attorney who wasn't successful at getting DeFeo off for the murders, nonetheless, liked the publicity he was getting from it, and maybe even wanted to be able to reopen the case, because his original argument was that uh, a claim of insanity, which the jury didn't buy. I mean, they said, yeah, maybe he was kind of insane, but 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 he didn't, you know, that doesn't absolve him of responsibility. But it seems like he and the Lutzes may have cooked up this story of, of a haunting in the house since they bought it and hearing voices and things to just stir the pot a little bit and maybe be able to open things back up uh, to a retrial or something, or maybe just for publicity. Anyway, a book was written... The Lutzes were really kind of cagey at first about what was true and what was not. Even over time, they kind of changed their stories, or they would they would be alternately really interested in talking about it and then kind of not talking about it. I think at one point, the Warrens apparently investigated this house too early on, and you know, it was kind of one of their deals. And we know that they were um, known to stretch the truth considerably. The whole thing just is, was a bit of a cash grab and a money thing. And even the lawyer later, I guess, tried to sue the writer of this book claiming that uh, he was supposed to be more involved in the production of the movie or the production of the book than he was, and therefore he felt he was kind of cut out. And he kind of comes out then and says, but it was all a big hoax anyway. He's trying to throw cold water on it. So anyway, um, you can enjoy the movie even knowing all that as a as a work of fiction, as a haunted house movie, which is what it is. You know, knowing all that, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter to me, right? It's a movie. Sure. And in fact, usually I I look at all that crap with a grain of salt anyway. And, and sure. you and I have talked before about how so many of these, based on a true story movies, sometimes that's just slapped on something completely fictional, you know, just yeah. to make it seem more interesting. In this case, it almost feels like they would have been more successful, in my opinion, actually going off the rails, <laughs> you know, because the true story of what happens in this house, to me, isn't all that interesting. Like, they've really got a stretch uh, from what these guys claimed, because ultimately, what what they claimed happened was just random things, like the houses, right. were, the walls would bleed, there was slime coming out of the keyholes, and, and I voices. heard voices, and yeah. saw a face in the window, and then everybody kind of leaves, you know? Right. So... I feel like the movie is is caught in a bad spot here where they're trying to stay somewhat true to the source material and not veer too far from it, but still they're trying to make it dramatically interesting. And in the end, I feel like maybe they stuck a little too close to the source material uh, because that's all they really have to go with for like an hour and a half. Yeah, I I know what you mean, um, because I was just reading, you know, I was reading about, like, the plot details of the novel itself, and and it it seems like the the movie really tried to hit as many of those plot points as they could, even when things would happen, and then they would just kind of go unexplained, you know, and I guess that's the the way, uh, you know, if 
if houses were really haunted, you know, that would be the way that things go. Like something weird happens. We have no explanation for it and move on. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But, but in a movie, you know, where you're looking for kind of like plot consistency, you know, just a series of random events does, does not a plot make. (laughs) Yeah. And, and and you're kind of, I mean, and there's no antagonist really. I mean, you could argue that the house is the antagonist, but there's nothing cohesive or coherent about, like you said, there's like no motive uh, ultimately for this evil. We don't really get a strong, clear explanation. It, It ends up kind of being the closest thing we get is the old ancient Indian, like almost literally the old ancient Indian burial ground, right? <laughs> you know, explanation, which, which is fine. But even exorcist two, I mean, even poltergeist two gave us a character, right. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> well, and, and James Brolin and Margot Kidder met the Lutzes and, and, you know, spoke with them. And apparently James Brolin kind of became friends with, uh, George Lutz, but both James Brolin and Margot Kidder, have gone on record saying that they think that the story is bullshit. Like they don't believe it. Um, and in fact, you know, ironically, since we're doing this as a tribute to Margot Kidder, she didn't like this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Margot. We only had so much to go with. <laughs> we already did Black Christmas. Really sorry. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly questionable. Uh, but like you said, you know, it's a movie and i don't know i i thought that it had good things going for it i i thought that you know it was it was well acted i thought that both uh kidder and brolin did a really good job in their roles um but like you said there's really no uh antagonist or motivation and at one point in the movie um james brolin as george lutz shouts you know to the house what do you want from us um, and it would have kind of been nice to get an answer to that question, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we don't. <That's> right. <laughs> we like, don't get an answer to it. Dig up uh, the bodies in the basement and bury us properly, or something like that. You right. Know? <laughs> but no. And again, I mean, if if we were going with the fact that this were real, you know, why does a haunted house have to have motivation? You know, it's just disgruntled spirits or whatever causing trouble for the sake of causing trouble. But when it comes to a movie plot, that potentially can get kind of tedious. And I understand why you may have not (laughs) so fond feelings. That's fine. It's Um, okay. I just just thought it was okay. And it was... uh, you know, it's very reminiscent of other movies of the time. It's reminiscent oh, yeah. of The Exorcist. It's reminiscent of The Omen. Um, you know, it, it fits categorically really well in with those other movies of the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and and I don't think that it's it's bad. I mean, I think that it's competently made. I think that it's well acted. Maybe the source material isn't that great. I don't know, but... It's not a bad movie. It had everything it needed to fit in with all those movies. It has a, a priest come in, and you know, that gets into whatever. It has like some slight possession aspect going. It has uh, satanic elements that, you know, come and go and crosses upside down. And there's a religious aspect. Like there was just a fervor at this time uh, in, you know, at this, this decade, you know, the 70s, where not only was were these movies coming out like The Exorcist and this, but even in the news, there were accusations of witchcraft and satanism going on at daycares that all turned out to be you know there were people were were hypnotizing kids trying to bring out memories and they were coming up with these fantastical stories of seeing babies eaten you know by by little miss tilly wigger you know their 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 teacher or whatever (laughs) you know and and people really got into trouble for it you know i mean people people it was it was kind of lousy but i think it's this atmosphere also that probably encouraged the source material i mean surely this would be one of the reasons why they these guys would come out with an incredible story about their house like they could clearly cash in it's kind of going on all around and people would seem to be buying buying it you know to a certain extent so it's like art imitating life imitating art you know it's it's all very reflective of the time well yeah and i mean this was a time this was the time before you youngins out there won't even understand this, but before we all had a video camera in our pocket every yeah. hour of the day, you know, so a lot of the time, 
all we had to go on was testimony. Uh, and if, if the testimony is vivid and, and believable enough, you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and I mean, science was not as sophisticated. I mean, it's hard to believe that, you know, we grew up through that time, but when you really, if you really go back and think of all the sensors and things that we have now, and you go back and you look at what, what we as kids were growing up reading about and fantasizing about, it's like, oh, how do you investigate whether there's really a ghost in here? You know, tape a thread across the doorway. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like put a temperature sensor in the room and see if the, if it gets colder and Explicably, you know, uh, right. hook up a, a camera like with a flash to the door so that when the door opens and nobody's there, it can flash and maybe catch a ghost. You know, if you develop the film two weeks later, you know, right. it's just right. even video cameras were, were really primitive and early at this time, at least for consumers, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just it was a different time. And and I guess we were a lot more gullible. You know, we we. We had to trust. We I don't know. We all kind of felt like, oh, maybe there is something to this. You know, we were a little more willing to believe. Well, and a, a little more gullible, I think, is fair. But I think also we were a little bit less skeptical about everything. Oh, yeah. And now, in the advent of having, you know, video evidence of everything and all of these, you know, technological advances, we are very, very skeptical video or it's not real you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. show me or i don't believe it um and we were a little bit less like that in the 70s and, and 80s we took people at their word a little bit more freely um and and my nostalgia kicking in says oh man what a nicer time that was <laughs> you know but, but right. at the same at the same time people were feeding us bullshit and we were just eating it up and that, that's true but you know, it was kind of fun to indulge in some of that silly stuff, but whatever, just a different time. I yeah. if we don't start talking about the plot of this movie <laughs> at some point, we're, <laughs> we're never going to get to it. I don't think it's going to take as long. <laughs> I don't either, because it's it's very it, it's it's so simple. It's such a basic haunted house story. You know, these these people, this nice young family move into this house to young, attractive newlyweds with their brood of, in this movie, it's three children, two boys and a girl, move into this nice house. And like you said, it's it's big. Of course, we we can't not mention, you know, the big iconic windows that look like <laughs> eyes that, you know, That's make right. the house kind of look like a face and and the way that they light the windows the windows are always like amber or red so they look like these kind of glowing eyes on this face and just like we said about the sequel it seems like every other shot or every scene is punctuated by an exterior shot of the house yeah on those windows (laughs) at one point it's like in negative it's like a reddish negative like yeah they're really stretching to keep these shots different (laughs) yeah oh it was funny and there's also a point at the end of the movie where the windows bust out and then subsequently in the movie they continue to show the windows not busted out at all did you know Right, I noticed that. It's so funny. It's you know, I actually went for years thinking that this was like one of these movie myths that the actual house didn't look like this, but I found out it really did. Yeah. And they reading online I found out that they for the exterior shots the town of Amityville and the owners of the house would not allow them to shoot there uh, so they actually used a similar house somewhere else but they had to create like a second story facade mm-hmm. to to make the house look that way and I thought that was interesting apparently over the years the owners of the at some point the owners of the house got so sick and tired of people coming by to look at it that they changed those those top windows to be rectangular <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a little, you know, I, I get it. If people were constantly dropping by my house to, you know, peep or whatever, that would get in, get on my nerves too. But apparently, the, uh, you know, the, this house where all this happens still stands, and people mm-hmm. live there. You know, like uh, I can't imagine. I, I, I can't imagine why <laughs> somebody would buy that house unless you were down with it you know like yeah like i would buy that house and live there and i would embrace you know like come on over check out my cool window dude i'd sell, I'd sell tickets man would you kid yeah. me i'd totally. make so much money from that thing well, uh. it, 
It's funny. I think it was the very next owners of the house after the Lutzes were so pissed off that the Lutzes were making all this money and like getting all this publicity that they came right out and said, absolutely nothing weird happened that's happened to us in this house. And they even sued them at some point for some reason. It's crazy. So, I mean, again, typical haunted house stuff. They move in and weird stuff starts happening uh, right away. The toilet's back up the uh, a window falls on a kid's hand they have trouble you know sometimes the windows open easily sometimes they can't get them open flies appear in uh rooms in mass um when they shouldn't be there and there's no explanation for it Anybody who has any sort of significant religious affiliation who comes into the house is immediately stricken. Like, one of the first scenes is a priest comes in, like he's been invited by uh, Kathy to come and bless the house, which we talked about in the last episode. Is that a normal thing to do? Well, yeah, I mean, some Catholics do that. It's not like it's a requirement. Like you buy a house and (laughs) you're required to have the priest come over, but some people might do it. He gets trapped in uh, this room and the flies swarm him and he feels sick and he hears a voice that tells him to get out. And and so he leaves at some point, Kathy's aunt who is a nun comes over and she's immediately stricken with like illness and has to get out of there right away. It's so convenient we get these like overtly religious figures in the house <laughs> from point to point. And it's funny, you know, if you just think about it, the implication that nobody can be as religious as a priest or a nun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, Kathy's hung a crucifix in the house. I mean, you'd think she'd feel a little ill for doing that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She prays a few times. There's a point later in the movie where they all go through from room to room and they try to bless the house themselves. And I read that in real life, neither of the Lutzes was devoutly religious. Like, he was a a non-practicing Methodist. She was a non-practicing Catholic. It's not like these were religiously devout people. But it makes it seem, especially in the movie, it makes it seem like Kathy was, you know, very, (laughs) very intent on having this house blessed because she keeps trying to get in touch with this priest who they didn't even know that he showed up. Like, they were playing outside and, like, on the boat when the priest showed up she didn't even know that he'd even been there um and then again like we said i the movie's too long they could have cut cut out that entire subplot with the priest and it would have made absolutely no difference yeah to the whole movie (laughs) and i feel like if they had cut out that subplot it would have cut it down by 20 minutes and it would have been far more serviceable it would have improved the movie too because it was a little ridiculous i mean from the beginning the priest who just barges into their empty house and decides he's just going to start blessing it Um, (laughs) and then when he leaves you know he's sick and then he He's kind of out for a while, and she he tries to call her, but every time he tries to call, the phone is staticky, and it doesn't it doesn't work. It just keeps coming back to this priest every now and then over the course of the next three weeks. And you're thinking, and and the priest is freaking out. And at one point, he gets together with the other priests, and we have that obligatory scene in all of these movies from this era where the priest is trying to convince his superiors that he needs right. to go in and perform some kind of exorcism, and they say that he's crazy. Father Nunzio and I have seen our share of phenomena, and never once did any of them turn out to be Satanist. We think you should take a vacation. And yeah, and that's kind of the end of that. But he's so keen on getting back to them, and she's so keen on getting him there that they sure just let it go for an awful while, a long while. You know? And then it never happens. <laughs> they, it's not dissimilar from the second movie, which we've already reviewed in which a priest gets involved. But in, in that movie, you know, the priest actually kind of takes active measures um, and, and is, you know, kind of prominent to the plot. Um, but in this, no, like she keeps trying to call him. He keeps trying to call her and he just, the priest keeps deteriorating to the point where he ends up a blind invalid by the end, but he, but he never gets in touch with Kathy and he never, he he doesn't do anything. And you were talking about obligatory scenes. There was another obligatory scene with the priest where he's in the church and he's praying to Jesus and 
like the 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 statues start crumbling and he's freaking out and I it, it was so reminiscent to me of the omen or oh, yeah. the exorcist or something like that and it's not even necessarily that these were bad scenes you know like they were fine on an individual level it's just they were really unnecessary <laughs> yeah and again it, well not only just derivative but then okay if it's if you're going to be derivative have a point to it and like you said there is no point and then furthermore it's it so muddies the waters like okay well is this spirit in the house able to leave the house it seems to be able to make his car crash when it's on yep. the way to the house uh so apparently the spirit will follows the overtly religious people around mm-hmm. other weird things that happen the the daughter amy the young daughter uh gets a uh invisible a, friend an invisible friend <laughs> named jody and again this is all pulled from the novel this is the story the lutz is told you know she gets this invisible friend and of course at first the parents don't think anything of it because you know kids they they make stuff up they have imaginations whatever but you know, eventually it becomes more ominous, and um, apparently the Lutzes, in their testimony, said that this invisible friend was some sort of demon, and it looked like a pig, and there's even one point uh, in the movie where James Brolin is outside, <laughs> George, I should call him by his character name, he's outside... <laughs> And uh, he he's looking in, and he sees in the window this kind of pig demon thing. And it's a cool image, but if you don't know the backstory, like if you haven't read the book, which I hadn't, it's it's just kind of confusing. Like, yeah, what is this he coming sk- from? Right, where's this coming from? We've never seen this before, and, and we we see it literally for a split second, and and that's kind of. I guess my biggest criticism of the movie is that, is just that at times it gets a little confusing. And one of the other things that I felt was a little bit puzzling was that almost immediately, like not immediately, but almost immediately, um, George starts acting weird. Yeah. Like from the, from the time they get into the movie. Like we're, we're led to believe from the way that the characters are introduced, that this is a great guy. You know, he's this great, hardworking, independent, good-looking guy who <laughs> Margot Kidder has recently married, and they're so determined to make their marriage work. And, you know, she says to him at, at the one sexy time, I want us to work. I want to be the best. I don't want you to have any regrets. And it really seems like he's a good guy, and he's good with her kids, he's nice to her kids, and the kids love him. But then there's, from the time they get in the house, there's almost an immediate shift where he starts getting irritable and grouchy, and he can't sleep, and he starts snapping at the kids, and eventually he starts snapping at her. And, And I will say, in fairness, that they react to it in a realistic way. Like, they're mm-hmm. shocked and, and surprised. Like, the little girl at one point says, George yelled at me. Like, she's she's really surprised. And, and it's good acting on his part. He does a good job of showing his torment, but it happens so quickly for me that it was a little unsettling. And the other unsettling thing to me is that this movie takes place over, what, two weeks, right? Yeah, uh-huh. And he never changes his clothes. <laughs> That's true. He, wears, he wears the same gross sweatshirt through the whole movie That's <laughs> and it just keeps getting grosser and grosser like i can only imagine that james brolin showed up on set every day and put on that same nasty sweatshirt <laughs> that they never laundered and i no wonder they were smelling funky things in the house. Look <laughs> at that him. sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I, did, I didn't even notice that, but you were totally right. Were totally... <laughs> well, there, are, there are a couple things about this movie that just flat out puzzled me. There's a scene earlier on. They're doing this thing where he keeps waking up. It seems to be 3.15 a.m. when he wakes up, and that's supposedly the time in which the murders happened Right um, before, and so that's significant. 
one of the first times that he wakes up, I think it's after sexy time, he puts his pants on, and then he goes to a room. It's, I guess he just got this this sense that something was wrong. And I thought that he went to the girl's room to check on her. Maybe it was one of the boys' rooms? Or was it an empty room? I, th- I think it was the girl's room. Yeah, because I thought the girl's so. room was connected to their room by a bathroom. Yes. So he goes in there, and isn't the girl gone? Yeah. Okay. So he goes in there, the girl is gone, and the window is open. And there's a thing about this window, like, he specifically closed it and locked it when he put her to bed. Right. So he goes in there, and the window's open, and so he's like, okay, she's not here, that's weird. And he looks outside, and he sees the boathouse, there's like a a light on in the boathouse, there's Mm -hmm. some light coming out. And so he puts on a jacket, goes and gets the dog to investigate. He goes there, finds nothing, comes back inside, sits down in a chair, and lights a cigarette. And then we see the boathouse through the window, and it's like, ooh, we, like we're staring at the window. This was actually a well-framed shot. We're staring at the window, waiting for something to happen at the boathouse. And we get a cat scare. Yeah. <laughs> which is really stupid. It's hilarious. I was watching... <laughs> I I hope my boss isn't listening, but I was watching this at school with my earbuds in, and that cat scare was like the loudest thing <laughs> it was ever in the world. And it, it it if they were going for a jump scare, they got it because I jumped because that cat screamed in my ear. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, when did he stop looking for his daughter? Right. I didn't understand that at all. I thought maybe that was a mistake in editing, like something got cut out at some point. And then the second thing that was really kind of bizarre is where you think you're getting some buildup, you think you're getting some explanation. He has a coworker. Do, do we ever figure out what his job is? Do you know what his I, he, job is? I think it said that he, because uh, I, I wondered, because it, I like he had a job, but he never does it. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> you never see him going to work or doing work or, or whatever. He does a lot of woodcutting. Yeah, he does a lot of chopping wood, angry wood chopping. Again, (laughs) hot, but, you know, scary too. Okay, so who are those guys that go out and look through those, like, little telescopes and, and, like, mark off the land? Oh, surveyors? I think that's what he is. (laughs) I think it said that on his van. I kept trying, because they had this big work van that they drive around. Um, I'm, I'm pretty, I think they were surveyors. I swear to you, every single time that van came on the screen, I was looking to see what it said. It was like, (laughs) I could see George Ull and like nothing else. And it was so maddening. Like in some scenes, it's like half covered in shadow because it's nighttime. And I'm like, are they deliberately obscuring this to me? Is this a twist later? Am I supposed to not know what this guy does? But anyway, he obviously co-owns this business with somebody else. And this guy comes into play at some point. He and his, I guess, wife or girlfriend uh, come up to the house, and her name is uh, Carolyn. And his name, I think, is Jeff. Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh At first, I thought it was Art Garfunkel for a split second. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, Art Garfunkel's in this? Oh, (laughs) So they come to the house, and immediately Carolyn is stricken with this bad sense, you know, again, staring up at those two windows. We know what those windows do to people. Right. And he's like, okay, well, I'll go and talk to him. He goes talking to this guy, to um, George, chopping wood. And George is like ominously sharpening the axe. And if, if I had encountered, I don't care how good a friend he is, acting like he was acting with this axe to me and in front of me, I would have split and called somebody. Yeah, I'll come back later. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Anyway, he has this conversation with him. Nobody's seen you for days. You haven't even been in to sign the payroll checks. You did us both a favor and brought them along. Here. Some caterer's been screaming that you wrote him a personal check that bounced. I should have covered that. And some guy from the IRS has been calling. Don't you have any good news? I think it's only been two weeks <laughs> since they Not moved even. into the house. Like, really? Their business is falling apart after a, like a week and a half vacation? Didn't make a lot of sense. Anyway, he ends up coming back later. 
because he decides to meet George at a bar. And this is later in the film when George is getting into his investigative mode. He, he gets on his motorcycle, which we had never previously seen. Right. An hour and a half into the movie when you're thinking it's almost done. And he goes to the library and he steals a book. Why? Why do people steal books from libraries? They let you take them. That's the whole point of a yeah, library. Yeah, it's free. And you can return it. You don't have to steal it. I didn't get that either. Anyway, he steals his book on the occult, or it's like the history of the of the the town or something. Uh, and he ends up meeting him in this bar, and then he and Carolyn and Jeff are sitting in a back room of this bar discussing this, and Carolyn is all... I think this explains it. This was built on a site of previous witchcraft or something. It's, you know, satanic worship or something used to happen yeah. on that ground. And then, of course, Jeff is like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. I think there's a rational explanation for this. And George is like, so what, what do you think I should do? And he says, I think you need to go home and sleep and go out with your wife, and then we'll talk about it rationally. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's kind of what you're doing now, isn't it? Anyway, they end up going back to the house, and Carolyn gets these... Again, Carolyn is this person who is getting all these clear visions and this is psychic connection. Right, like she's some kind of clairvoyant or something. Yeah, and she's like, it's in the basement. It's in the basement. They were doing, or they hid them in the basement or whatever. I, I didn't quite catch what the backstory was supposed to be here. Apparently, it was some guy, John Ketchum, was run out of Salem um, for devil worship, and he built his house on this land and supposedly all kinds of sacrifice and devil worship and all that kind of stuff there while he was there. But when they go back to the house, as you had mentioned, they Jeff and Carolyn had been there before and she wouldn't even go in the house because it gave her bad vibes. But now that she kind of knows the history, she's in intrigued um and so she does go in there and she's drawn to the basement she's like she has a feeling whatever it is it's the the energy is radiating from the basement and so they go so they go down there and the dog which god ever anybody who listens to this anybody who knows me knows i love dogs this (laughs) this this dog has been like worrying at the basement for the whole movie. <laughs> the whole um, movie. Digging at a particular <laughs> wall. <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they go down there and that poor dog is still worrying at this wall, like whining and scratching. And um, Jeff even, like he pulls the dog away and the dog's paws are all bloodied from having, you know, been scratching at this wall. And uh, Carolyn's like, this is it. This is where it is. It's behind this wall. And so she picks up like a pickaxe, you know, <laughs> because who doesn't have a pickaxe in their basement? Laying by the steps, of course. <laughs> and and she starts like hammering at the wall and George comes down and he's like, what are you doing to my house? And she's like, it's behind the wall. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> there is and something so he, here. So he takes the pickaxe and he starts you know, hacking away and they, they pull the wall down and I wanted this to be a really cool reveal. Like I wanted it to be some, like I wanted there to be like skeletons in there or like, you know, like a big pentagram with eternal candles that were burning or something. (laughs) Cause it was glowing. Right. It is glowing. But again, you know, there, this is based on, testimony and what the Lutzes said was they found this room and and really the only remarkable thing about this room was that it was painted all red and that's what you see when he finally gets in there but he he looks in there with this look of horror on his face that lingers for a good 10 seconds on screen yeah and and then we get to see in there, and it's just a red room, but then there's like this apparition of a face, which I thought was just James Brolin, because they have mm-hmm. been they, – they, several people have remarked throughout the course of this movie that he looks just like the DeFeo kid who killed – his family. And so I just thought, you know, like they're just showing James Brolin again or whatever. Apparently they wanted somebody who looked a lot like him. So they glued a beard on his brother (laughs) 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 and used that as the apparition. I don't know why they could have just used him. And I, I also don't understand 
what is the suggestion there? If you move into this house, you're going to start to look just like the killer who lived like, <laughs> or, or is it that if you look like him, you're going to be drawn to this? Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, you're it's, right. It's silly. Well, and what makes it even sillier then is then we get, so everybody apparently sees this apparition. Yeah. Everybody sees it. They're like, all four of them are lined up there. And then it closes in on the look of terror on Carolyn, our psychic woman's face. It's the passage to hell. It's the gateway to hell. (laughs) And then cut to a scene of the priest. And then cut back to him chopping wood again. It's like, are you kidding me? Right. Like, (laughs) I thought that this was the thing. Yeah, okay, you know, it's... You buried it on an ancient Indian burial ground. Damn you. You know, I mean, I I thought, okay, like, like, they've literally found the gateway to hell is at the basement of this house. I mean, it's ridiculous, but I thought, okay, well, that explains it. And now we're going to get the good stuff. And no, it's just one more thing that happens. Well, and, and you throw out that ancient Indian burial ground... Like it's, oh, ha ha, that trope. Well, I mean, they literally use that too. Like, not not only did this satanic guy come and build his house on this place, but also... (laughs) <laughs> it was a place where the Indians used to keep all of their insane people. And yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, at one point, Carolyn, this is before they've even broken the wall. At one point, she's like, people are buried here. <laughs> and then, and then after that, I feel like it's both before and after. Um, at some point, uh, the wife, Kathy is, like let's just get out of here let's go and the the James Brolin George is like no you wanted a house this is our house deal with it <laughs> <laughs> which which is so true to marriage if there ever <laughs> well they spent $80,000 on it like <laughs> I'm going to continue to harp on that because it's so funny to me now that, I mean, that house would probably be $3 million now, but not only that, but there was also a scene where, a random scene where her brother was getting married and they were in the house and like he was super, super concerned about counting out the cash for the caterer um, and he counts it all out and then he puts it in his pocket but then when he puts his jacket on it's gone and it disappears and George has to cover the cost and then so they're like oh you know it must have fallen out it's got to be around here somewhere and so when they come back uh, he George is looking for it and he, he can't find it and he flips out and like goes into a rage like where is it um, <laughs> so you know they've got financially issues and i'm making i'm making light of it but it's true i mean you can't just buy a house and then just be like oh never mind i don't like it but you can leave for a while you can't leave or you can put it back on the market for pete's sake some other yeah schmuck will buy it for eighty thousand. <laughs> maybe give them a good deal let them deal with the ghosts and demons or whatever it is uh, you're gonna have to take us out here because at this point i kind of stopped paying attention i was like all right it, i guess i guess he just kind of flips right yeah it all it, it just you know throughout the course of the movie we've been given these time stamps that tell us how many days they've been there and of course things just get progressively worse as they're there she tries to go see the priest and she again she can't see him because he's Debt or blind and catatonic at this point. Um, but so then she goes to the library and she looks at microfiche and she reads, uh, you know, the story of the murders and she sees a picture of the murderer and it looks just like her husband, which freaks her out. She's also had dreams. She and he, uh, George and uh, Kathy, have both had dreams about him killing everybody with an axe. <laughs> Yeah. And and so she's freaked out and she goes back and this part was a little confusing to me too because obviously he's just lost it. Like while she's racing back, we see him again, you know, like with his axe and then he's like nailing the window shut like obviously with malicious intent and she gets back and then he comes in with the axe and he's looking for 
Amy, which I'm not sure why he's so intent on killing the little girl first, but apparently he is. Mm. And he's got the axe, and the kids are hiding in the bathroom, and he's like chopping down the bathroom door. But then she it's she attacks him. Kathy attacks him from behind, and he throws her off, and he raises the axe to hit her, and like he sees her as like this super old woman. And the makeup effects are just okay. Like, she doesn't... Hmm. I mean, it just looks like makeup. But, um, but she, you know, she says something to him that makes him realize that it's her. And then he drops the axe, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I would never hurt you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, like, it was just an odd thing. Like, he's seemingly possessed or mad in one moment and then it doesn't take much to snap him out of it and then he's okay for the rest of the movie yeah what was the thing about her being an old woman who was he supposed to be seeing there that was just as i read something else that came from the book that at some point for whatever reason that's how he saw her I don't know. It's kind of stupid. Anyway. (laughs) So they grab the kids. Of course, you know, it's dark and storming. And they grab the kids and they run out. They try to run outside. The door slams. They can't get the door open for a while, but they eventually do. They run out to the van. They get in the van. They can't find the keys immediately, but eventually they do find them. I don't know where they found them. Then he's not going to drive, and she cajoles him to drive. Right. And and then the kid in the background was like, I want Harry, who's the dog. And again, I love dogs, but seriously, if you're in a house that's about to kill you, like, <laughs> you're not maybe, maybe send somebody back for the dog later. <laughs> Get that real estate agent to go back. Yeah. So so he, he drives the van like down the block, but then he gets out and, and he runs back and uh, Kathy is like, no, but he runs back and he, you know, he, he gets in the house and he's calling for the dog and the dog's in the basement, of course. And because the dog's always in the basement. Right. I guess pawing at the wall that's not there anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just barking at the hell mouth. Meanwhile... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the the Hellmouth opens. Like, I, I think the Hellmouth opened while they were still in there. Like, nothing comes out of it. But I guess since it's open, it's very helly. Hellish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he goes to try to walk into the basement, and he falls through the stairs, and he falls into like this pool of blood. And I thought that he would come out doused in this blood, all demonic or manic or something. Mm-hmm. But no, he just comes out, and like at first the the dog kind of attacks him, but he talks nice to the dog, and then the dog helps him out. <laughs> it helps pull him out of the pool of blood, and then so he grabs the dog and he wraps it up in a blanket, and he runs outside and he runs back to the van. Um, and they drive away, and and that's the end. And then there's a scrawl uh, on on the screen that says, "George and Kathy Lutz never reclaimed their home or their personal belongings. Today they live in another state." And that's that's the end. And I understand that they were basing this movie on a quote unquote true story. So. Sure, sticking with the events as they were reported, great. But when we see these kinds of based-on-a-true-story movies today, I guess even more so today, they take more liberty with them where at least you get a few kills or something. Like Like, everybody just makes it out of this unscathed. (laughs) Except for the priest, who you don't care about anyway. And what has happened? Nothing. At least for the first hour and a half in the movie, it's just, it's, I, I just wrote down a list. We went through most of it, but it's uh, freaked out religious people, a bunch of flies, some gross water, s- strange smells, people are getting sick, and erectile dysfunction. <laughs> right? I mean, it's the most benign, it's not even poltergeist level of scary. You know, well, nobody's braces have come alive and tried to take their face off. Uh, you know, trees aren't trying to rip. You know, nobody's really ever been in any peril yeah. except at the very end here, where you know this this quick and v- over very quickly possession uh, happens. Well, and and to be fair, that last scene, you know, the walls start bleeding, the ground is shaking, the hell mouth is opening. Like, there's stuff going on, but 
it's not all that exciting. <laughs> nobody is <laughs> nobody is in, you know, like mortal danger. At least it doesn't yeah. appear so. But whatever. You know, like honest to god, watch I will say that the first time I watched it, I thought it was boring. And I really had no interest in watching it again. And really the only reason that I did watch it again was for this. For, you know, because mm. Margot Kidder died. And that's really sad. And I don't want to trivialize that. I mean, she was a, <clears throat> she seemed like a cool lady. She was a good actress. I really appreciated her and liked her. And so I do want to pay tribute to her. And even she didn't particularly like this movie. I thought she was great in it. I thought that she was super cute. In fact, I thought that she was too cute. I thought that they played her up as kind of this sexy girl. She didn't look like she could have had 12-year-old kids. <laughs> you know, oh, like yeah. <laughs> she looked like she was like 21. I have no idea how old she That's was true. in this movie. But she looked great. The acting was good. James Brolin was hot. His acting was good. Um the cinematography, you know, was was perfectly serviceable. At times the editing was pretty brilliant, especially at the beginning when the uh, real estate agent's showing them the house and it's just suddenly cutting in um visions of the of the murders. That was kind of jolting and really mm-hmm. put me a little bit on ease at the beginning of the movie before I started kind of veering off into boredom. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I don't know that I would ever need to watch it again, but I'm glad that I did watch it for the second time because I appreciated it a little more. And this movie was hugely successful. Like, they oh, yeah. I, they didn't anticipate, they didn't think that it was going to be all that successful. In fact, it was planned as a made-for-TV movie until some producer stepped in and said, no, we'll, you know, we'll throw some money at it, we'll release it in theaters. James Brolin accepted his role at well below his normal fee but it would it stipulated that he would take in 10% of the gross and so he ended up making like 17 million dollars <laughs> on this yeah. movie um because it did so well and so it, it obviously it resonated with people you know maybe the whole based on a true story thing drew people in. Uh, the novel was successful, too. So, you know, maybe it was people who had read the novel and had talked about the sure. novel who came to see it. It did really well, you know, for whatever reason. And it, it spawned... They're still making Amityville movies. Like, they're not yeah. even... They're not even really even connected to the original no. story anymore. But they're still making them. I think one just came out last year. And they're crap. <laughs> <laughs> I watched one recently. Um, I watched Amityville. It's about time, which is about like a haunted <laughs> clock. <laughs> oh, no. I, was gonna t- I thought you were going to tell me time travel was involved. <laughs> no, it was about a haunted clock that takes over. It was horrible. Um, oh, they're, they're crap. But, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it did well. It, it's, it's become a franchise. Who knows uh, why? But kudos, you know. And, and I, I have no And even, you know, the, the Conjuring has tied it in. Uh, at least a little bit, at least setting up uh, the possibility that they might tackle it in their universe at some point. Um, so for whatever reason, it has established itself in pop pop culture. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's it, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's a decent movie. Margot Kidder and James Brolin are really good in it, and they're both very attractive people and fun to watch on screen. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I would say, you know, give it a shot. It, uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say that I loved it or liked it, I, I, but I, I think I concur with you. It's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie by a, a long shot, but it's just, to me, there are just so many other gr- better Haunted House yeah. movies out there, despite this being such a huge hit and so iconic with great acting in it. And uh, and like we said, it, it, some real inspiration at times as far as cinematography goes. I just, for me, I just fault the story that it, it just goes nowhere. And uh, like I said early, you know, to kind of bookend my earlier statements, I feel like maybe they just stuck a little too closely to that source material. And you're mm-hmm. right. I don't think we do that so much anymore today. 
you know, probably because we're more skeptical, right? Yeah. We, we, don't, we don't buy into that crap anymore. And so we, we don't expect to see something real on the screen. We're more accepting of that, whereas probably uh, the audience of the day was, uh, was a little more taken by it and probably had lots of interesting conversations after the movie about what did you think about this? What did you think about that? Right. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe looking back at it, uh, it's a it's a worse movie than it would than it was you know when it was released amidst yeah. the hype of the book and everything else. Right. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere your favorite podcasts are. You can also find us on Facebook where we have a page. You can like us there talk about this movie you know check out our earlier episodes as well we have a huge backlog at twoguys.red40net.com or on itunes and uh, we do review amityville 2 which we enjoyed so much more than this movie it was a, it was a fun flick uh, check out that episode as well if you're interested in this franchise until next time i'm todd and i'm craig with two guys and a chainsaw